0: All right, this morning we will be in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, and we will be finishing our mini-series on the armor of God. Um, We're going to finish that this morning with talking about the prayers of the saints, and then we will move into, we're going to finish the book of Ephesians next week, the very last section, um, the, the last section of most of Paul's letters are such that uh, easy to ignore. We often ignore those last sections as he gives instructions to various individuals. But I actually think there's a ton that we can learn from those things. So we're going to look at the last section of Ephesians next week. And then we're going to be back. I promised that we would come back and finish Exodus. So we're going to go back and finish Exodus. So we're going to come back and do a couple of recap sermons to catch us up because it's been, I think, two years since we've been in the book of Exodus or something like that. Um, and so we're gonna uh, a couple of recap sermons, and then finish the book of Exodus um, this uh, before the end of the this next uh, school semester. Um, so that's kind of a preview of where we're going. Uh, but this morning we're in Ephesians uh, chapter six. All right, well, uh, Jesus in uh, the Gospels tells lots of parables, and one of the parables that he tells is in Luke eighteen. He tells this story to his disciples. Uh, It says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Uh, This is one of those stories that Jesus tells that kind of uh, at first read feels very odd, right? That Jesus is saying, hey, we can learn something from an unjust judge, one who neither fears God nor loves people nor cares about people at all, right? And the point of the story is not to relate God to an unjust judge, right? Like that is very clearly not the point, though sometimes we feel that way about God, But that's clearly not the point. The point of the story is to say, if this unjust judge gave the widow what she desired and what she required, which was justice, will not God, who is not an unjust judge, ultimately do right in the end? And it's meant to encourage the disciples to pray without ceasing, to pray persistently. And that's really what we're gonna be talking about this morning is prayer. The reality is, we often don't believe that God is good enough, and we actually would prefer an unjust judge that we could just pester into giving us what we want. We often uh, take this parable and, and actually do the opposite with it. We hear about this, and we say, Man, if we have to be persistent in prayer, if we have to continually cry out, what's the point? What's the point? Are we willing to actually believe that God is good and will do right in the end, and therefore we're willing to submit ourselves in prayer and earnestly pray for God to do the things that he says he will do? Now, we're going to wrestle through that text this morning in Ephesians that ends this section uh, with talking about prayer, But but the point of what we're trying to say this morning is that we want to be persistent in prayer, in order for God to do what he says he's going to do in the end, and trust that he is good. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, we've uh, read through all of the armor of God, and so I'm going to do that again. And what I want you to think about as I read through this text is, how will we have the power to do all of the things that God is telling us that we are to be equipped with in this text? How are we going to sustain any of that? And, and hopefully Paul will answer that for us. But I want you to think about that as we read through this. All right, Ephesians 6, 10-17. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, "...put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil." Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. How are we to be equipped with all of these things? Well, Paul tells us immediately after this, prayer, Ephesians six eighteen. pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Now, the first thing we got to deal with when talking about this text is what does it mean when Paul says pray in the spirits right that's kind of a phrase that that seems a bit odd but hopefully we'll put it in its context here but pray in the spirit what does that mean maybe you immediately think about uh, what Paul says in first Corinthians about praying in tongues Maybe that's not where you go, but certainly it's talked about there, right? Spiritual prayers, prayer of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 14, it's talked about. Now, we don't have enough time to go through that, nor do I think any of you the day after Christmas want to hear a sermon walking through the details of tongues and uh, walking through all of those things. But uh, I, I do want to say a few things, right? Throughout the book of Acts, as we showed when we were walking through the book of Acts, um, tongues certainly are languages that are known to the individuals that hear them, not to the ones speaking them, right? That's kind of the point of the gift in the book of Acts. As it extends out, uh, the apostles are speaking in they're speaking in a language that they don't understand, and yet the hearers understand it because it's their language, right? Now, there may be something in 1 Corinthians 14 which some people refer to as sort of a private prayer language of tongues. Um, I'll be totally honest with you. I think that passage is pretty confusing, and I have Scripture to back me up because Peter says some of the things Paul says are a little confusing, right? It's a little confusing and a little difficult, but there are some clear things that we can say. In 1 Corinthians, he tells the Corinthians to seek the higher gifts, Because they're desiring speaking in tongues. And he says, actually, you should desire to prophesy or to speak uh, or, or to have the higher gifts of love and not tongues, right? Meaning that tongues is not this high gift that we should all necessarily ascribe to. Also meaning it's not required for all believers and certainly not required as evidence that you have the Holy Spirit. Paul's abundantly clear in the book of Romans. If you have Christ, you have the Spirit of God. End of story. Whether you speak in tongues or not. Whether you believe in speaking in tongues or not. Right? If you have Christ, you have the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, then you have Christ. Right? And there is one instance in the book of Acts in which believers uh, come to know Jesus. Right? They experience the gospel. And then they receive the Spirit later with this second act. And then speak in tongues, right? But remember, if you, uh, when we were walking through the book of Acts, this is the first time that the Gentiles experience the gospel, and so it's like a second Pentecost, where the Spirit is first poured out, and we never see that repeated again. So there isn't this standard of uh, experiencing the gospel and then a second act of experiencing the Holy Spirit, which is marked by speaking in tongues. Some Christian traditions believe that. I don't believe that's accurate from the scriptures. And I think it can be harmful because many people who don't speak in tongues feel this urge to like, I have to do it because I have to prove that I have the Spirit. And it can lead to all sorts of uh, sort of bad things. Now, it doesn't necessarily lead to that, but that is an issue, I think. So I don't think that that's what Paul has in mind here in Ephesians, but I just wanted to mention that just so if you were thinking that, right? I don't think that that's what Paul has in mind in Ephesians. We'll get to that. And if you have questions or want to talk about that more, I actually like talking about this, just probably not day after Christmas. But at some point, uh, if you want to get together and talk about those things, that's totally fine. I would love to do that. So if you have more questions about all of that and what we believe as a church, certainly please reach out. But if it's not that, what is it? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, Paul has, throughout the whole book of Ephesians, talked about the Spirit at work in all of the Christian life. In Ephesians 4, he says this in 21, "...since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God." truly righteous and holy, right? Let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. The spirit should be at work in renewing everything about you. Spirit is at work in all of life, including prayer. Ephesians five, fifteen through 20. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I think we think that being filled with the Spirit is this sort of extraordinary experience in which something miraculous will happen now certainly that does happen throughout the book of uh, or throughout the bible and i think throughout the world today that certainly does happen but an extraordinary work of the holy spirit is exactly that extraordinary extraordinary not the ordinary way in which the spirit works the ordinary way in which the spirit works is by filling god's people so that we would sing to the lord together we literally just did that right We just did that. We experienced what it means to be filled with the Spirit because we gathered together to worship Jesus and sang together to the Lord. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in us because the reality is, right, where else in the world do you gather together with people to sing? It's kind of an odd thing that we do, and yet it's evidence that we gather together to sing to the Lord together to worship him because we're his family together. Now, the Holy Spirit is meant to be a part of everything that we do in life. We are meant to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, right? He says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? That analogy of being drunk, when you're drunk, it affects everything you do, right? Right? As in like, Theoretically, not from experience, right? Theoretically, right, that's what it does. It affects everything that you do, right? That's why Paul is saying this analogy, that being filled with the Spirit is to affect all of our life, including our prayer. So we are to pray in the Spirit. We are to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to submit ourselves, even in prayer, to God's working In us. So, if that's what praying in the Spirit is, right? Just prayer submitted in the power of the Holy Spirit. What then can we say about it? Well, certainly we can say that uh, prayer in the Spirit is another way of showing that even our prayers come from God's grace. Even our prayers, even the things we offer to God come from His very grace. Paul in Romans 8 says this, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Part of praying in the Spirit is trusting that the Holy Spirit is praying for us because we don't even know what to pray for sometimes. Now, I think there's a number of ways that in which that works out. There are times when we are so overwhelmed by something that we are so burdened for that we are just overwhelmed with the brokenness around us or the brokenness inside us, and we don't even know how to put to words what we're asking God to do. And the Holy Spirit petitions the Father on our behalf. Other times... We just don't even know what we should be praying for because we're so preoccupied with our own selves and our own lives. And yet, by God's grace, the Holy Spirit is still praying for us. Still praying for us. Remember our story of the unjust judge, right? The point of that story is to say there is this extreme example of something so terrible and yet they still get justice. We don't have that. We have a God who will pray for us even when we're not praying. So we can be persistent in prayer because the Holy Spirit is praying for us even when we're not praying. Right? He's using that as a way to encourage us to pray because even when we're not praying, the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf. Because God is so good, we can continue to pursue him in prayer. It means that prayer in the Spirit is in faith. If it's by God's grace that we experience this prayer, then it's certainly through faith, a trust that God will answer our prayers. Prayer in the Spirit is also with the Word of God, right? We just talked last week about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So if we are to pray in the Spirit, we ought to use the Spirit The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God in order to petition God, right? If the spirit speaks by the word, then when we are to pray in the spirit, we ought to bring the word back to God in prayer, reminding God of his character, reminding him of his goodness, reminding him of his promise, reminding him that he is not an unjust judge. And so when we ask persistently, he will answer us with the word of God. Prayer in the spirit also means a simple dependence. Simple dependence upon God. Just trusting that I don't have to have all the right language or theological knowledge or right words to say that God will still hear me. One of the other ways in which that story teaches us a prayer that Jesus told is that it was a, widow who was speaking to an unjust judge. A widow in the ancient world was a person with zero power, and yet she got justice. We don't have to be someone of great power. The Lord hears the prayers of a child, of a widow, of the oppressed, of the marginalized, of those the world deems unworthy of care. God hears their prayer. And will answer. Simple dependence on the Holy Spirit to show up and answer our prayers. Well, Paul said in the midst of praying in the Spirit, right? He said that we are to pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. So, prayer in the Spirit ought to be alert. That means that we ought to be sensitive to what God is doing, listening to him. Now, right, prayer in the spirit is tied to the word of God, yes, but also sensitive to the fact that God speaks today. Now, when I say God speaks today, I don't mean that God is uh, speaking to someone privately in order to write authoritative scripture, right? The Bible is closed, we believe the canon is, Of scripture is closed, that there is no more authoritative word of God spoken today for all people in the world, right, for the church that's going to be recorded in scripture, right? And yet at the same time, God does still speak today to his church through leading, guiding, and directing. He leads us, he guides us, he directs us by his Holy Spirit in some mysterious ways. Now, that again is never Counter to the Word of God, right? If you say to me, Well, God uh, told me to do this thing and it's counter to the Word of God, God did not tell you to do that thing. You just want to do that thing, right? And you're just attributing it to God telling you this, right? We often use this in ways in which we want to do something, whether it's sinful or not, we want to do something and we want to give it a stamp of approval. We don't have to do that, right? You don't have to throw down the card of like, God told me to do this, therefore you can't challenge my decision in this, right? That's a bad way of, of, of using this, right? Because then it, it gives us a, a way of not having to listen to a, uh, authoritative structures or uh, friends to whom we are accountable to, all of those things. God will speak in and through his word and in and through other people, giving us advice, giving us godly counsel, all of those things. And yet at the same time, we need to be sensitive to what God is doing. We need to be sensitive to the fact that God will still act in the world and will still speak, and we should listen. We, in our, uh, in our tradition, are not very good at this. We need to learn how to be alert to the Spirit's leading. Often, when we, uh, in the sort of Reformed tradition in which we like theology and the use of our minds to things, whenever we come to a problem in our lives, we use our heads to think through the problem, and then we will eventually go to prayer. We need to learn how to be sensitive to God's Spirit and go to prayer first, and then use our minds to think through the problem. I'm not saying don't use your minds to think through the problem, right? But certainly we need to be sensitive to God's spirit. That means most of our prayers ought to be listening to God, sitting in silence before him. Because the reality is, as Paul already said, you don't know what you should be praying for. The Holy Spirit will pray for you. Most of prayer is the transformation of our hearts to be like God. And so we need to sit in silence before Him. Being alert to what He is doing. Being willing to ask God, do you have anything to say to me? Do you have anything to show me? Is there any sin that I haven't seen in my life that I need to be open to? Is there someone that you want me to share the gospel with? Is there someone you want me to care for and love? Is there some radical act of generosity you want me to show? Ask him and sit and listen. Ask him and be alert to his presence and then trust him. Now, how are you going to hear his voice? Well, you need to know what he sounds like. Not audibly. God has never spoken audibly to me. i I do believe that has happened to folks, but it has not happened to me. But the way in which you know God's voice is to know his word, right? To know his word, to know his word deeply like we talked about last week. That way when you are alert to his spirit in prayer, you will recognize when he's speaking to you. You will recognize the way in which he's leading you. Prayer is to be alert and, Paul says, Persistent. Well, I think sometimes we struggle with the alertness. Some of us struggle with the alertness, right? We just want a quick prayer be done. Some of us struggle with the persistence. And some of us, like me, struggle with both the alertness and the persistence. But the persistence is this pursuit of God no matter what. The reality is, and we're going to revisit this when we get back to the book of Exodus, but God is slow. God moves slow. God acts slowly. He is patient. He is not in a hurry. God tells us to be persistent in our prayer, and sometimes that hurts. Sometimes that hurts really bad. It leads us into suffering and to the wilderness of waiting. I think one of the greatest tragedies of modern American Christianity is the lie that God would never deny a good thing from people he loves. Because the reality is, over and over in the scriptures and throughout history, God denies something very good from people he loves. Right? You can trace, there's a theme that you can trace through the entire scriptures of a barren woman a woman who desires to give birth, and particularly in the ancient Near East, right? Offspring was your connection to the future, right? It was very important. And yet there's theme after theme throughout the scriptures of a woman who desires offspring but does not get it. That is painful. I've walked with friends, dear friends, who have walked through that, and it is incredibly painful painful that's that's just one example there's example after example imagine the people in exodus waiting on god to show up because their suffering is so much they are in slavery and they are waiting and they cry out and god answers in 400 years with a baby so they have to wait another 70 years for him to grow into an old man then he will deliver them. That means there are generations who waited and died waiting. So because God didn't love them? No, certainly not. Why then? Why? Well, the reality is I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us a good answer, a satisfying answer always. It gives us some hints maybe but the reality is I don't know why in every instance God chooses to act slowly and doesn't show up. But I do know this. Hosea 2.14 says this. But then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. This is the Lord speaking over Israel. God uses the wilderness, which is representing suffering and waiting, and trial to win us back to him, to strip away our desire for anything else and to make us dependent upon him. The wilderness waiting might feel terrible and that God is not present and yet God will use that place to speak tenderly to us. And any of you who have been through difficult things in life, Know this, you've experienced this in which you have gone through some incredible trial and yet the Lord used that very thing to speak tenderly to your heart. Now that's not true for everybody. And in the midst of the trial, sometimes it still hurts and feels really hard. That's why there's books in the Bible called Lamentations. Jeremiah does not say, Lord, you spoke tenderly to me in the wilderness. He says, God, what are you doing? Over and over. But that's part of what God is at work doing and creating a people who will cry out to him in the midst of those things. This is why our prayer time we spent thinking about and praying for the global church. One of the ways we can be more persistent in prayer is to remember that we are connected to a global people who are experiencing great persecution throughout the world today. We can remember to be more persistent and to commit ourselves more in prayer by connecting ourselves with the global church who experiences God's presence in the midst of great suffering. They are drawn more and more to him. We can lean on these saints who know way more about God's presence than some of us do in the midst of their trial and their circumstances. Most of our praying in the spirit will be like this, leading us to a place where he can speak tenderly to us, crying out in pain and disappointment with a lack of answers. Maybe you've been praying for a job, for relief from addiction, for a spouse, for a child, for a loved one to come to faith, I don't have the answers to those things. I don't have good answers to give you. We always sort of want to tie things up in a bow, right? Like this was really hard, but then this miraculous thing happened and here it is. That's not how the scriptures present life. And that's sometimes not how our life is experienced. We can't always do that, right? Paul is writing this saying, be persistent. You know what, where he's writing from? Prison. He's writing from prison and it doesn't end well for Paul, right? He ends up back in prison and then beheaded by Nero. It doesn't end up well for him in this life. And so we can't always tie everything up in a bow and say, this is it, here's the answer. Because that's not always the way God works. Well, what are we to do with our prayer in the spirit? We are to pray kingdom prayers. Paul goes on in Ephesians, right? Starting in 18, he says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. See, prayer in the Spirit is alert, and it's persistent, and it's also about the kingdom of God, not selfish personal prayers. God, give me this stuff and make my life easy. But kingdom prayers, kingdom prayers will change you. Often, we pray safe prayers to form ourselves as safe Christians. Pray safe things. God, would you grant this? God, would you grant that? Not God, would you expand your kingdom by this? Not God, would you expand your kingdom by doing that? Because we know that when God asks us to pray those things, he will send us to do those things. Right. If you start praying for justice, you're going to start seeing injustice, and God's going to call you to correct it. Start praying for the kingdom to grow. God's going to give you non-Christian friends to share the gospel with. Right. That's how God works. So we are content to pray safe prayers in order to form ourselves as safe Christians. But we want to pray kingdom prayers to form kingdom Christians. Praying for God's kingdom to advance, for it to be like heaven here on earth. Not simply praying for things in my life to go well or to be easier. Not that those are bad prayers, but I'm talking about kingdom prayers that are bigger than you. Prayers for revival of the gospel, miraculous deliverance of Christians from prison, deliverance of the oppressed from systems of injustice, Deliverance from addictions, Jesus to be worshipped by unreached people groups who have never heard the gospel. Love to be extended to neighbor, deep wounds of division and racism and injustice to be healed. And kingdom prayers for my family and friends, not just that their life would go well, but that they would experience the glory of God in Jesus. That they would give up hard hearts and that they would be transformed. Kingdom prayers like this for this church that we would be formed that way. Prayers like that for the persecuted church. Prayers for the gospel to go forth because this kind of prayer will motivate our action to do these things. God will use our prayers to motivate us to be the answer to our prayers in the kingdom of God. Jesus is the one that's gonna send us into this. Now, it's not gonna be easy these type of prayers might have you end up in jail like Paul. Might have you end up being maligned or losing your life as Christians around the world do. But why would we pray like that in the spirit? Only because we've experienced the goodness of God in the spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says this, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth The good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. We pray like this for the kingdom to advance and for for God to work powerfully. We pray like this in the spirit because we've experienced the spirit of God as the guarantee that we have a great inheritance. That our suffering now is not just suffering for the sake of suffering, but suffering for the sake of glory later. Jesus is our example who went into suffering, right? Becoming born as a baby, growing up in, a, in suffering and sorrow and then going to a cross for us and then was resurrected to glory. We pray like this and we act like this and we expand the kingdom like this because Jesus' glory is worth it and he's gonna share it with you. We get the kingdom of God forever. We get the new heavens and new earth forever. And if you have experienced that foretaste if you have experienced the goodness of the spirit poured into your heart through faith then you know what you are waiting for you're waiting for Jesus and so we can pray that Jesus would send us into hard places to do hard things because he's worth it because he will grant to us the kingdom of God so let's pray kingdom prayers and be kingdom people